Um, if you turn on the news, if you turn on Twitter or threads, uh, anyone jumped over to that yet? We're still testing it out, right? If you, if you uh, even opened up YouTube, you are bound to see something like this. Politician exposed, right? You, you, there's that phrase, something exposed, right? You could see you know, DeSantis exposed uh, for having an American psycho clips throughout his, his ads. Have you seen that? It's, it's really weird. Uh, <laughs> or you see Biden exposed. There's cocaine everywhere, right? <laughs> Just, there, something like that came along this past week. Or Trump exposed for asking the governor of Georgia to count votes, right? There's all of these things exposed. And, and there's something deep inside of us that, that wants to click that. We are desperate to know to, to reveal the true nature of a person. Because, why? Because we live in a very photoshopped, curated world where everyone only puts on the best and everyone only posts the most positive things and we want to see what's really happening there. You know, pastor exposed for abuse of staff. We're like, I've got to know what that's about. Like, right, we, we, are, we are desperate to see and to expose and to reveal the true nature of a person or a thing. Well, today, I want us to expose or to reveal something different. I want us to reveal idolatry. Today, the sermon is titled, Idolatry Exposed How Our Obsessions Are Destroying Us. Idolatry exposed how our obsessions are destroying us. And for us to think about that, I want us to expose the foolishness and the futility of idolatry so that we can see the fullness of the one true God. I want us to expose the foolishness and the futility of idolatry so that we can, we can, we can, we can see the one true God. Uh, and the fullness of the one true God. So the foolishness of idolatry. I think this first point is probably the easiest to communicate. Because uh, I think when we think of idolatry, we're like, it's kind of weird that people would worship stone or wood objects. That feels kind of archaic. It feels kind of ignorant. It uh, feels not, not, not great. Um, and so this one makes sense. It's kind of foolish. Uh, verse 14, and God agrees with you, it is foolish. He, the carpenter, cuts down cedars. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire, bakes a bread, but he also fashions a god and worships it. <laughs> he makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire, and over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat, eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, ah, I am warm. I see the fire, right? <laughs> From the rest he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships he prays to it and says, save me, you are my God. And if you cannot hear this, God is trying to expose the utter ridiculousness of this, that you would cut down a tree and half the tree you use to warm yourself or to bake some bread or to cook your meat. That's not bad. Those are good things, right? That's, we're, we're good. The other half of the wood you then, you then cut up into a statue and say, ah, oh, now that, I got big plans for you. <laughs> oh, I'm going to worship you. Like, this is weird. This is weird that we would say, save me to this piece of wood. It is foolish. It's lunacy. 
And what God is trying to get us to see is that a God that you make cannot deliver you beyond, beyond you. That makes sense? That a, a God that you make can't deliver you to something beyond you. It's, it's crazy. It's nonsense. And I think we get that. I think our society gets that. We're like, yeah, that seems dumb. What we don't get is we see that as, as nonsense, but what we don't get is how many idols we actually still worship here today. And so we see the idols back then, we're like, that's, that's weird, that's foolish, and yes, amen, but also we have probably more idols today than they ever had back then. And we worship them just as much as they did then. So what is an idol? Here's, my, here's a definition of an idol. We looked at Heidelberg earlier. Here's just kind of a simple one. An idol is any good thing that we turn into an ultimate thing. An idol is any good thing that we turn into an ultimate thing. And so what, what, what does that look like? Um, Tim, let me give you another definition. This is from Tim Keller. An idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that, that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. And so we can, we can see the silliness of worshiping a block of wood. We can go, that's, that's foolish. But do we also see how foolish it is to bow down to our careers? Ooh. Now I'm meddling, aren't I, right? <laughs> now I'm stirring up stuff in, in, in households going, elbows are, are flying, right? <laughs> it's foolish to bow down to our career and say, save me. Deliver me. This cannot do this. So how do you find your idol? Today, I want you to, I want you to find one idol. You have many. You have more than one. But I want you to think of what is one idol, what is one good thing that you've made into an ultimate thing? One way you can help, help find what that is, uh, the North African theologian Augustine talks about idols as disordered loves. So things that, that should be in like fourth place in your priority list has moved up to second or maybe even to first place. And so it's, it's more of a disordered loves. And so where are your priorities out of whack? One area you can think about is work. Work is a good thing, right? Work can, can, can meet needs. It can, it can be, help you to find something, be a part of something bigger than yourself. Uh, you can really love the community around you through your work. Uh, you can do acts of justice through your work. That's great. Where work can become an idol is when it moves up that priority list, and now it's more important than family. Hmm. Now things are messed up, right? That when you put work above family, now what happens when you, when you do this, when you disorder your loves, you lose everything. You lose both. Because when work comes over family, now there's tension in the family. And many times there's often an explosion within the family, right? Which then affects your work. And now you lose both because you've disordered your loves, and this is what happens. There's a mess. There's always a mess. Think about this way. An another idol, comfort. Does anyone struggle with comfort as an idol? Um, I, I, I love this phrase, treat yourself. How many of y'all just want a day and just to go treat yourself? 
That should be your day today, right? Like, that that's, should be like the Sunday rest, just to treat yourself. Like, that's just, that seems to be like a beautiful thing, and I'm a big fan of this, not just because I love the show. I love the way they, they just embody that, that, that vibe, right? Like, treat yourself if you don't know what that is. Let's go to the mall, and let's just buy things. Uh, let, let's go see a movie today. Let's, let's, let's have a me day, right? <laughs> that's not bad. Having a treat yourself day is not bad. But what if... Every day was a treat yourself day. Well, what's that called? What's well, just called being, you know, self-centered and <laughs> right, right, like narcissistic. Everything is about me, right? It's treat yourself always about yourself, and that's that's where it messes things up. Um, Philippians three eighteen says, "Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach." Oh gosh. And their glory is in their shame. This verse got real personal real quick. <laughs> that their God is their stomach. That is just like such a violent way of calling out some particular people's sins, right? <laughs> right? That this is, but this is what it happens. We make those things that we worship into our little mini gods. And we will do anything to feed that God. Like, and, and we just want to say, no, you're, you're, just quit. Quit calling me out. Well, let me ask you, what, what is it that you daydream about? Maybe even right now. <laughs> what do you daydream about? That might be a tell of that idol. What is, what is it that you have nightmares about? That also might be a tell of an idol. What makes you so angry? That is usually where you're trying to protect that idol, that most important thing to you that you've elevated to God status. That is so important. Here, fill in the blank here. If you're still trying to figure out what an idol is for you, if I lost blank, I would be devastated. I obsess over blank. What would you write in those blanks? All I need is Who would you write in that? What would you write in that? These are, these are ways to try to figure out what that, I'm only asking you to find one idol. What would you write in there? All right, well, we've seen the foolishness of idolatry, but now you may not be convinced of why it's so bad, and that's what I want to talk about now. Like, you might be like, well, can't I just have, like, my pet, you know, idol, just kind of like a, like a hobby? It's not hurting anyone if I, if I worship this little miniature thing. Who cares? Well, that's when we want to talk about the futility of idolatry, the futility of idolatry. Uh, verse 9 says, all who make idols are nothing. Seems a bit aggressive, God. <laughs> you are nothing is what God just wrote there. And we just skim over it. Uh, all who make idols are nothing. That is rough. Uh, the, the Hebrew word there for, for nothing is tohu, which means chaos. Uh, it's the same word that's used uh, at, back at creation, um, b- describing the earth before the sun shone on it, and it was just chaos. It was nothing. And then that verse goes on, and it says, And the things they treasure are worthless Those who speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. And so what I want us to see here is that worshiping an idol is not just like a neutral thing. It's not not, uh, just 
looking to a created thing to give you what only God can give is, is not just like this impartial choice that you can go, well, that's my decision. I hope you, know, you, you don't get to tell me what to do. I want you to see that there's dangerous ramifications for worshiping these idols. It says that you will become blind. You will become blind to this. It will blind you. Verse 18 says, they know nothing, they understand nothing, their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see, and their minds are closed so they cannot understand. Do you know someone who, who is just so committed to that idol that they, 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 they don't see anything else? I mean, I, I think about this like with workaholics, and it takes one to know one, right? Where it, it's all I can see, and I can't even see that I have a problem with that. That's all I'm committed to, and it's blinding me, right? This is, anytime we elevate a good thing to an ultimate thing, it will ultimately be not just a neutral choice, not just a bad choice, it will break and will blind you. This is dangerous ramifications. An idol will always break your heart because a, a created thing is never meant to hold all of that weight, no created thing can bear the weight of your deepest longings. Let's get real personal here. We live in central Texas. Kids. Hmm. Kids are a good thing. Kids are a wonderful thing. Uh, I think many parents in here would just say, I love my kids. I, 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 I love sacrificing for my kids. It's worth it. Amen. What happens if we make our good thing into an ultimate thing, if we make our kids into our idol, well, then our kids become our God. And what does that look like? Well, now it looks like I live to serve you. I live so that one day, I can't wait for that day, one day I'm gonna get a mug that says world's greatest dad. That's what I live for. World's greatest mom. I need that. I wanna be the super dad, the super Mom, I, I, I want that so much. And remember, uh, what, what this does to us is it's not just a neutral thing. It is going to blind and break you because what it's going to do is going to make you into a helicopter parent to where now you are all around and possibly suffocating children. It's going to cut off healthy boundaries between you and your kids. It's now going to cut off, cut off relationships with friends because they are your God, not not other things, and then one day, the child is going to realize you've made them into the God, and they, they're going to they're say, I cannot bear the weight of God to you. And they will leave you, because our idols will always fail us. They will always fail us. It, it, they're like the suspension of my truck that I used to carry the, the Waco Axe trailer, that truck was never meant <laughs> to carry that much weight. <laughs> and that was before people got on there. It is already low riding so much right now. And if I just drove around Waco, we did this for the Juneteenth parade. Probably shouldn't do it again. Uh, <laughs> if we do this again, my truck will break because the suspension was never built to carry that much weight. And that's what happens when we put so much hope and weight and suspension on, on, on our, our kids or on these things that we say, deliver us. I want you to save me. Think about it this way, security. Security is a good thing. 
Let me just be very clear. We at Mosaic, we're for security. We're for being safe. However, if we put security as the ultimate thing, this is what happens when you then do that. You now have a country that spends billions and billions of dollars on its military, and then we in turn also spend so much money on our home security systems, all for the joy of being stressed out and anxious that someone still is going to find their way into our house because we put our hope in people and in systems that can fail, that can break. We put our hope in those things that that, that cannot bear that weight. And so our, our idols are killing us. Our obsessions are destroying lives. One more to make it very, very clear. Intimacy. It's a good thing. Intimacy is a good thing. It's something that, that, that I think we all uh, deeply long on, on, on different levels. But if I must have intimacy, then that means I must have it irregardless of who I have it with, whether inside my marriage or outside my marriage. We've made intimacy into an idol, and it destroys our lives. Our obsessions are destroying lives. So we've seen, we've seen how bad these things can be. So here's what I want us to do. This last week, um, I, I, I decided to, to introduce my kids to uh, Indiana Jones. It's the, the new ones in the theaters. I don't know how old Harrison Ford is, maybe 80. Um, and, and I was like, let's go watch the originals. And so I introduced them to the later, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. While I turned it on, Chris and text, isn't that the one with the Nazis? <laughs> yes, it was. I don't know if we're ready for that, but we did anyways. <laughs> uh, and there's this great scene, as you see up here on the screen, uh, this great scene when, when Indy is going into this temple, and he, he's, he's, he's dodging all of the booby traps, and he's trying to get to this, this golden idol, the golden idol, which now that I look back, I go, why is he robbing these people of their treasure? This doesn't feel right. <laughs> Put it aside. <laughs> it was justified. He's an archaeologist. It's still robbing. Okay, so he's, he's going in there, and, he takes, and he, he's about to take the idol, but he knows that if he takes it, something bad is going to happen. So he has to get this bag of sand, and he's trying to take it off at the same time and put the bag on so that he has to replace it. What happens if we just say, okay, I'm not going to make that into an idol? We're going to fill it with another idol. You're going to fill that thing. You're like, okay, I'm not going to put all my hope in my kids, okay, I'll put it in my spouse. I'm not going to put it in my spouse, I'll put it in my work. We're just going to fill it with something else. So you have to replace it, and that's what I want us to see, because I want us to expose the foolishness and the futility of idolatry, and that we can replace it with the fullness of the one true God. That's what I want us to do, is to replace it with the fullness of the one true God. And you can see that in verse 6. God says, I am the first, I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. God is saying, I'm the first, I'm the last, I'm the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, and you're worshiping idols that, that have just sprung up? I created those idols. I created those, those, that, that, that material that you've now bowed down to worship. And then he says, very clearly, he says, there is no God. There are no other gods, which can sound very offensive in our pluralistic world. And I, and I want to be careful because I have friends who don't believe in the Christian God, and I love, and, and I think they're wonderful, beautiful people. And their faith has made them into hospitable, beautiful people. 
However, what this verse is claiming is that there is an exclusive claim to God's divinity, and it's kind of what you would expect if God was the creator of everything, that he wouldn't then go, well, are, are you a God as well? Like, there's, there, it's what you would expect. Verse 24 then says, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb, I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself. This verse says two big things. One, God is the creator who, who's done everything. He creates all these things, stretching out the heavens, right? And so you can see God is trying to emphasize you're worshiping the created things. And I'm the one that created it out of thin air. But two, it says that I am your redeemer, your redeemer. And so not only does God have all the power in the world to do something about your situation, God now has a unique interest and commitment to you out of deep, deep love for you to do something about your situation. And so what this, this whole passage does, it's this juxtaposition of the weakness of idols and the strength of the immutable, unchanging nature of God. Like, it is emphasizing that God is in charge of everything, and in spite of everything, he said, I'm committed to you in particular. God's saying, I'm going to gamble on grace. And it's not a risky gamble, because he's really gambling on himself, and he's like, I'm going to commit to you regardless. But he's gambling on grace with a roster of rejects who he ultimately makes into his beloved bride, Right? He makes you into his beloved bride. Verse 22, it's like the picture of the gospel. He says, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. You ever seen the, if you're up in the mountains and you can see the, the, the wind blowing the clouds away and it dissipates you, you can't even see the cloud anymore. God's saying, I'm going to take away your sins to where they're not even seen anymore. They're not there anymore. How, how? How can God do that? He does that because he says, I'm going to redeem you. And there's that word again, that God is going to redeem you. And that ultimate redemption finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, where he ultimately redeems us. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Mm. Do you see how deeply loved and cared for you are? That the creator of everything isn't just going to say, your sins are forgiven, I, I won't look at them anymore. But the way to do that is I'm going to come and not just die on a cross, I'm going to become a curse. The most holy, perfect, beautiful thing in all creation, even outside of creation, stepped into it and said, I'm going to become a curse. And I'm going to hang on the cross for you. Because I love you. And it's not until we can see that. It's not until you can see the beauty and be thrilled by the love of Christ that all of these good things that you've elevated to ultimate things can finally come crumbling back down to their original spot. That's what we need to do, is to look to the beauty and the love of Christ for you and me 
and it makes those, those ultimate things back to the right, rightful place. They're good things. Like, my marriage is a good thing. Like, my work is a good thing. My stuff are good things, but it's in their proper place now. They're not everything. They can't be. They will ultimately fail me if I put them in those places. Augustine, again, the North African theologian, he says it this way, he who has God has everything. He who has everything but God has nothing. When we are thrilled by the one true God, then we can see that there and only there is there actually true freedom. Because what if I fall out of favor with you? Well, I still have a God who went to the cross for me. What if I do lose my job? Like, what if I lose the world? I still have a Savior who loves me deeply. And so my world is not upended now because of the right priorities here. I still have everything. Because if I gain the whole world and lose my soul, what a shame. But if I lose the world and I still have my soul, I still have everything according to Augustine. And so what do we want to do today? I want us to expose the foolishness and the futility of idolatry so that we can replace it with the fullness of the one true God. And so what do we want to do today? What do you actually want to go do this week? I want you to do this first. I want you to identify that one idol. Don't worry, one's going to be enough for you to work on. What's the one idol where your heart is just committed to Second, I want you to dethrone it. What would that look like practically to dethrone that idol this week? If it's a matter of priorities, how are you going to reprioritize things? And the only way you can do that is if you rethrone the one true God. Rethrone and, and be thrilled by the love of Christ for you. Let's do that this week. Let me pray for us.